You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's RSA Conference podcast. This is Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference. We all know that a critical part of any good incident response plan is communication. As we all know too well, crisis can strike at any moment. So how and with whom you communicate as events unfold can significantly impact the business. We're joined today by Kim Alberella, Senior Director, Global Security Organization Security Advocacy at ADP. Kim, please take a moment to introduce yourself. Hi, everybody, and Casey, thank you so much for having me on today's session. I work for ADP. I'm the Senior Director of Security Advocacy within the Global Security Organization. And what that means, very simply, is that I'm responsible for all of our internal and external communications around our security program, whether it's to our clients, our associates, our vendors and partners, and to the public. I'm happy to be here today, and as Casey mentioned, communications is is so critical as part of an incident, um, but especially a crisis and during crisis times. So, looking forward to today's content. Absolutely, and thank you so much for being here, Kim. I know that you over at ADP, all of you are super busy, so I really appreciate your taking the time to chat with us and um, share your wisdom with our listeners. I did want to start by just asking you, why is communication so critical when managing an incident and even more important during times of crisis? Yeah, no, communication is really the backbone of so much of the effort and the work that goes behind managing an incident or a crisis. Obviously, in times of crisis, more people are affected, more communication may be necessary. But it comes down to thinking about the empathy side of what do people need to know about your incident or about your crisis? Who needs to know? What do they need to know? When do they need to know it? And what does that communication look like? And it's critical because no matter whether it's an incident on an information security type of incident, a data incident, or a physical or weather-related incident, or like we're dealing with now, a pandemic type of incident or crisis, the people that are impacted are going to be stressed, potentially frustrated and confused. They may have questions, concerns, Um, And they're going to want more information. And that information could simply be, what is the company doing to help me? Um, What happened? All the way down to, you know, how am I impacted? What are you going to do to make me whole? Or, you know, how are you going to protect me going forward? So depending on the audience, it's just critical to understand that all that work that's being done in the background to manage the incident, manage the crisis most people are not aware of what's happening. So you have to make sure you're letting the right people at the right time know that you're on top of things and that you're working on it and you're going to do certain actions and you're going to you know, keep them updated as time goes by. And it sounds like, you know, when we talk about incident response plans, there's so much more than just the technical response to an incident, and you really need to be thinking about who you need to communicate with and when and really plan Mm -hmm. for so many different scenarios, right? So what are some best practices and tips for ensuring both efficient and effective communications? Well, I think you nailed it, Casey, which is you have to have a plan. 
So you can't just decide, you know, an incident hits and say, oh, my gosh, I need communications. What are we going to go do? Who's going to write it? Who's going to send it? So you need to make sure you have roles and responsibilities defined up front as to who's going to write the communications, who's going to approve them, who's going to be the one sending it out, who's going to answer questions coming back from them. And then you need to make sure of what's in those communications. So there's really five key pillars when I think about a good communication program when it relates to incidents or crisis that I focus on. The first is being proactive. And and what I think about when I, I hear of a proactive communication, it's how do we anticipate what the audience is going to need, whether that audience is internal or external or a client or an executive? What do they need and how do we give them that information before they ask for it or complain about it or get frustrated and concerned? Second is transparency. We need to make sure that we're telling our stakeholders as much information as we can. Of course, that comes with the caveat as we may not be able to tell them everything that we know for legal reasons. So this is critical where you don't want to just send out information and it gets perceived as, quote, fluff. You want to make sure that you're giving people enough information so they can actually use it and it is getting the point across while making sure that you're protecting yourself and not giving out too much or, or too little. The third one is honesty. Being open and honest about what you know, how you know it, what you don't know, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. Again, it goes with that same disclaimer. Sometimes you can't tell everything to everyone, but really making sure that you're going above and beyond to be truthful because I think that's what makes people appreciate the communication. If they think you're hiding something, they're just going to ask more questions. The fourth pillar is around diligence. And what that means is that if you're going to communicate that you're going to do something or you're making a commitment, make sure that you honor what you say you will do. Make sure that you stick to those commitments. If you don't know dates, don't tell them. If you can't stick to that commitment or that promise, I would make sure that we go back to the third pillar, which is being honest about what you can and can't do. Um, and then even making sure you're following through to confirm that you did what you said you would do. And the last pillar is positivity. So making sure that those communications, no matter how bad or dire the incident or the crisis, are really painting a positive picture of what you're doing, what you know, how you're empathizing with your audience, and helping them to solve the problem that they may be experiencing because of this incident or crisis. So I think no matter what type of incident or crisis you're dealing with, no matter what type of communication you're dealing with, whether it's verbal, written, you know, a report, or any other type of discussion, if you focus on those five pillars, that that's really the key to success. That's fantastic. And so I heard you mention stakeholders and audience. I'm so curious to know, how does the communication, because you said, you know, there are some things that you can't say for legal reasons, mm -hmm. right? So how does mm -hmm. communication different between the groups and who are those internal and external parties that you need to think about communicating with? Yeah. So there's not only different groups, but there's different ways to communicate to those groups. 
So if you start on the internal side, you have your internal employees who may be working through the incident or the crisis. You may have other employees that are not impacted but need to know. And so even within your own internal company, you're going to have different stakeholders. So I break those down into three different distinct groups. I start with your executive and leadership group. So that group needs to know what's happening. They need to know how the company is impacted, but they may not need to know all the different levels of detail. They don't need the technical information. They don't need to know all the, you know, different widgets and weeds and all the different pieces that are putting it together, but they need to know what the puzzle is going to look like when it's complete. And so what I typically recommend there is making sure those communications are consistent they look and feel the same. They have language that can be understood by summarized and not complicated, complex terms that the majority of people wouldn't understand. And that it's at a level where they can really take it and make decisions off of it. The second group I talk about when I think about an internal audience are your employees that are just need to know. They're not working on the incident. They're not dealing with it, they're not helping to fix it, they're not talking to your clients about it. And those are the people who I treat almost like a public audience. You got to give them some information so they know what's happening. You can post it on an internal portal, you can send out an email, you can post it on a social media feed, like an internal social media feed. Basically just saying, this is what's happening, this is what we're doing, this is what you can expect to hear from us. You know, if there's anything additional that's going to impact you, we'll keep you updated. So it goes back to less is more. You don't want to scare anybody. You don't want to make people, you know, think that there's more happening than what really is happening. But you want to let them know that you're aware of the situation and that you are doing something, if that's appropriate. And then the last group are your employees that really are working on this incident or crisis. These are the people that need to know what's going on. They need to be kept in the loop so they can help fix the problem or communicate to clients and other stakeholders. And so for them, I always suggest communication needs to be consistent, thorough. So like I mentioned with the executives, you don't need to give them all the details. This group probably needs more details. This group needs to make sure that it's in an understandable language so that it doesn't matter which group you're in, you can understand what's happening. And they need to clearly understand what the action takeaway is for them. What are they going to do with this information? Is this something they need to communicate to their stakeholders? Is this something they need to go do to fix something? So I think there's three key groups, and the way you even message internally needs to be very different based on those groups. It's fascinating to me because I'm thinking, like, there also is that flip side of it, too, with the incident responders Mm -hmm. that are communicating directly to you so that you Mm -hmm. can then share out that information to other people. And so how do you establish those important lines of communication as part of that incident response plan as well? Yeah, no, it's very key to make sure that as a communications person that's responsible for pushing those messages out internally and externally, that somebody like me who's in a role like mine is looped very closely to that incident responder community. And that means that I would be making sure that I'm involved in the incident from the beginning that I know who the key players are, who the incident commander is, who the people that are involved, whether it's technical or physical or weather-related or PR, whoever it is, 
um, who the key players are, and really understanding mm-hmm. what this company strategy is on what are we going to say about this. Is this one of those situations where we have to be careful about what we say, like a legal type of incident? Or is this the kind of thing where, for example, a hurricane, where that's public knowledge as to what's going on? You know, and we could be a little bit more forthcoming as to what's happening. But it brings me to the external side, which is even on the outside, you still have different audiences there that need different levels of information. You've got your clients, your people that are depending on you. You know, what do you have to tell them? What do they have the right to know versus need to know? What are you required to tell them legally? Making sure you understand those different caveats is super critical. And then once you decide that, okay, we're going to tell our clients about what's happening, who else now needs to know? Do you need to notify a regulator? Do you need to notify the media? Do you need to have, you know, social media responses ready to go? Are you going to post something on your website? Is this something that you want to talk to prospects about potentially? Maybe this is a positive thing. Um, So it's really making sure that you have a clear plan as to how this is going to be messaged external outside of the organization. And for a global organization, a lot of that is impacted by GDPR and other regulations, right? Absolutely. So making sure that you're staying in compliance with both the privacy regulations, any type of contractual requirements that you may have with your clients, um, and then also just going above what's legally required and doing the right thing. Right. So in terms of the times that we're living in now and the impact Mm -hmm. that the pandemic has had, what Mm -hmm. have you learned in terms of how to communicate during an unprecedented crisis, right? It's not just a crisis like a hurricane, like you said, you know. It's quite unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you learned? So I think everybody's learning as we go through this. Um, And I think a few of the things that I've seen is really speed. So this pandemic has been a really eye-opening experience in terms of how fast things can change. You know, I mentioned a hurricane you kind of can predict when it's going to happen. You know, most of the time a weather forecaster knows the hurricane is on its way a week in advance. A hurricane hits right. for a couple of days, and then you move into recovery phase. So, you know, most weather type of issues have a defined start and end period. Similar to a, a cyber event, which is you, you find out that there's an incident or an issue, you go through some remediation steps, and at some point it's over. I think the unique thing about the pandemic is that there was never a very clear start time. You know, there was talk back in the January timeframe as to, you know, there's this virus in China and people started thinking about it. But I don't think most of the world really thought that we would get to where we are today. And so the speed of communication and the ability to respond has been so critical. And when I look at the companies who've really done the best job out there and building out a reputation for themselves and really seeing a good response from a brand perspective are those companies that jumped on it really quickly. So the ones who sent out communications to their clients right from the beginning saying, hey, we're on this. This is what we're doing. They've been consistently sending out contact information to say, this is how we're responding. You know, first we did this and now we're doing this and, you know, we've heard the newest news and now we're doing this. And, you know, they're continuously telling their clients what they're doing. 
Similarly, you've probably seen in the news about different companies who've donated supplies, who've changed their manufacturing facilities to be able to support the crisis. You know, all those things are great, but I think companies really have an opportunity here to use that for a positive impact. So making sure their own employees know what they're doing, their clients know what they're doing, you know, them, I've seen several companies very clearly say, you know what, we may have promised fast shipping, but we can't promise that anymore because now we're focused on this other thing. Or, you know, we right. used to be able to provide this. We're not doing that right now. Um, right. So there's a lot of really good right. examples out there, you know. So it's really, I think, speed and the ability to react um, without a lot of red But tape. it also goes back to that honesty pillar that you talked mm-hmm. about, right? And just being mm-hmm. so forthright about this is, yes, this is traditionally our promise of the business that we run, but that's changed and here's how it's mm-hmm. changed. So I think, yep. again, those pillars that you pointed out are so important. Um, so what has ADP done to communicate mm-hmm. to its clients during the pandemic? So ADP has been very proactive in really providing our thought leadership to our clients and to the general public. And we've posted up on ADP.com, our website, an employer preparedness toolkit. And this is really a one-stop shop for everything that a business would need to know about how to support and care for their employees, information about the latest legislation, There's some employee communications information up on there. It gives information about how to manage leaves of absence and additional types of resources on how ADP is responding. There's security information up there. Um, So it's really our opportunity to provide ADP's history and knowledge in one place so that our clients don't have to go searching and they can get the information right away quickly from wherever they are. Yeah, that is so helpful um, and probably a lesson that's learned <laughs> mm-hmm, through the process, exactly. right? So what other lessons learned can businesses apply to their future crisis and incident response plans as a result of this pandemic? I think there's going to be a lot of lessons as we go through this. I think most companies have probably already learned a lot just in the last six or seven weeks or so. And I think as we continue through this pandemic, they're going to continue to learn more As it relates specifically to the communications aspect, I mentioned it earlier, making sure you have a plan. So it doesn't matter that it's a pandemic or an information security incident or a hurricane. Who do you need to communicate to? How are you going to do it? All those, you know, the five W's, who, what, where, when, why. All of that needs to be thought out beforehand. I think making sure that there's specific people and then with backup plans for those people, because as I talked to some of my colleagues in the industry, they may have had a plan and said, well, so-and-so is going to do it, but when so-and-so got sick or so-and-so couldn't work from home or they didn't have internet connectivity. We saw that during Hurricane Sandy in the Northeast several years ago when we had great plans and then people had no power, no internet, and no gas in their cars to get to the office. And now how does that person step up and who's their backup person and how do you get in touch with them? So I think if you just go back to the basics and make sure that you've got a plan in place, you've got people's names attached to the plan, those people are empowered to make the decision to send out things or edit and approve things, you know, I think you'll be in a good spot going forward. Yeah. Templates are always a good one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, 
And I think a lot of times people have the plans or organizations have the plans, but then the plans aren't ever practiced. So then when it comes to execution, that's when you realize like, oh dear, we didn't have the redundancy in there so that, you know, Jane can take over for Julie or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not even just about having the plan, but ensuring that that plan works by repeatedly testing it. Exactly. Repeatingly test of it, training the people that are going to be on that plan. And I I know I quickly mentioned templates, and those are just a personal preference of mine, because if somebody doesn't do this every day, and now they're all of a sudden thrown in in the middle of a high-stress crisis, and, you know, they've got their own job to worry about, and now they're doing this on top of it, a template, something that they can at least start from, is always one step easier. It's always easier to react to something than it is to completely start from scratch. So if you can spend some time developing what those templates look like. So if it's a hurricane, we know there's going to be hurricanes. That is a fact. (laughs) So if you know Mm -hmm. that there's going to be hurricanes coming in September and October, and I can have, you know, a few templates created where this is the template I send out to my employees. This is the one I send out to my suppliers. This is you know, what I send to this person, now when it actually hits, you're not struggling. And then you'll realize a hurricane template can also be used for a tornado or an earthquake or whatever. You start building from there. Right. Hopefully we never need a pandemic template again. So I know, I know. Fingers crossed on that one, right? Kim, this has been a fascinating, really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before... We end and wrap um, up. Yeah, no, this has been a great experience, Casey. I've learned a lot in working with you and the whole RSA team, and I really appreciate the opportunity. And to the people listening, I hope everyone's doing well and staying healthy. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for more of our podcast that will continue to come your way to help you not only through the pandemic survival, but moving forward in all of your security needs. 